This morning we're continuing in our series, uh, our Christmas series, um, The Christmas Story Revisited. And we're looking at the Christmas story in maybe a little different mindset than what you have seen it before. We started off several weeks ago, four weeks ago actually, uh, on the first Sunday of the month with communion. And it's ironic that we're going to end our Christmas series on Christmas Eve with communion. And so it's kind of a, a good thing it worked out that way. But just for those of you who weren't here, the first week we looked at a message entitled From the Cradle to the Cross, and we saw three aspects of Christmas. We saw Christmas past, which spoke of remembering the Lord's death until he comes. And then we spoke of Christmas present, how Christ encourages us to remember the Lord's steps and how he lived his life here on earth and how we should walk and uh, emulate the steps of Christ. And then also we looked at Christmas future, remembering the fact, the glorious fact, that one day he will return for us and free us from this sinful world and body that we possess. That was the first week. The second week we looked at overcoming disappointments, and we saw in our study through the gospel there of Luke how when we look at Christmas, a lot of times we look at it in such a positive mind's eye. We, we look at children's plays and Christmas carols and all that, and it's all spun to the positive. But when you stop and you think about it, there was a lot of disappointment involved with the first Christmas. And we looked at some of those. First of all, there was Mary's pregnancy. Uh, she wasn't officially married yet. She was betrothed, which means they shouldn't have had any relations. And they didn't, but she ended up pregnant. So it's like, whoa. That would be something hard to swallow in your engagement time. And it was tough for Mary. It was, it was tough to realize that, wow, okay, this must be true what God is saying. Because she knew she had no relations with anyone, and yet she was pregnant. And so we, we learned from that fact that disappointments are often opportunities for us to worship. We think so many times in our Christian lives that our Christian Lives should be filled with just happy, happy, happy all the time. And we forget when we're going through those trials, when we're going through those discouraging moments, when we're going through the, the periods of disappointment, that even those come from the sovereign hand of God into our lives to mold us, to shape us. And rather than cry during those times and be weary and sad-faced, we should look at those as opportunities, as Mary did, to worship God. And then secondly, that week, we looked at Joseph when he discovered his betrothed wife was pregnant. Talk about disappointment. I mean, he was her engaged hubby, and he knew that he hadn't had any relations with her, and yet she ends up pregnant. That can only mean one thing in his human mind. She was unfaithful to him. So, being the man that he was, he loved Mary deeply, but he couldn't go through with it, so he sought to put her away quietly, the Bible tells us. And we saw that out of that whole event with Joseph, discovering that his betrothed wife was pregnant, that disappointments are opportunities to trust. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He trusted the message that God gave him. God, somehow you're going to work this out. I mean, think about that couple, Mary and Joseph in that society of that day, 
being in the circumstances that they were in. People were talking, people were looking, people were, I mean, all that stuff's going on behind the scenes. And yet they trusted God to work all this out, and he did. And then the third thing we saw in the the message, Overcoming Disappointments, was when Mary visited Elizabeth there in Luke 1. And we saw how disappointments are, are not just opportunities to worship and opportunities to trust, but disappointments are actually opportunities to encourage others. To encourage others. So many times, that's the furthest thing from our mind when we're going through a trial, when we're going through a tribulation, when we're disappointed in our lives because maybe God didn't answer the prayer the way we thought he should have. (laughs) And so we're disappointed. So many times we forget that even those disappointments, God sovereignly works in our lives so that one day, maybe months, maybe weeks, maybe years later, You can step back from your trial and say, wow, God was faithful to me. And then, lo and behold, what does God do? He brings someone across your path who is going through the exact same thing. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe it's dealing with children. And you're in crisis mode. But you know what? You sought to not just worship God through that, to trust God through that. But now you're seeing that God actually is using those times as a time that you can come alongside someone else and encourage them because you've been through the same thing. That was week two. Week three, we saw the message defeating discouragement. Defeating discouragement. It sounds like a downer series for Christmas, but I just wanted to take a different look at it this year. And the first thing we saw in Luke 2 was God wants us to use our loss of rights for his glory and the one thing that we, we realized in Luke 2, 1 to 3, the greatest work God wants to do in our world will often come about because of people's proper response, people's proper response to disappointing times. Sometimes you may feel like, wow, that wasn't right. That was unjust. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. You know what? Even when you feel that way, even when you feel like your, lights, your rights have been violated and maybe you have a loss of rights, even God can use those for his glory. And the second thing we saw last week was God has a journey for all of us, a journey. And we saw the journey that he took Mary and Joseph on in Luke 2, 4 to 5. And how, you know, it wasn't some glorious journey. I mean, she was pregnant. She was ready to give birth to a child. I mean, who would want to walk, let alone ride on a donkey in that condition? And yet, that's the condition that they took this journey on. And we concluded that God's journey for our lives is a struggle. It's always a struggle. We shouldn't be surprised at that. You know, the health, wealth teachers will teach you, no, 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 God wants your best life now and, you know, gain all the gusto you can right now. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God has a journey for you, but that journey, I guarantee you, will have struggle involved in it because it takes us from our place of comfort. God's journey takes us from our place of comfort to the place where God has for us. And sometimes that means discomfort. And so realize that. And the third thing we looked at quickly was God has a place for you. And we saw as they traveled, they finally ended up And there was no room for them in the inn. And yet God, in his sovereign plan, had a place for them. And the key to that was, basically, we looked at humility. 
before others and before God himself. And it means trusting God enough so that you can be who God created you to be and then also having the, the trust and the bravery to stay on that path that God has called you to. There's so many Christians that start down that path and then they wander off in their own little, their own thing because it's more comfortable. They feel more comfortable doing what maybe they feel they're gifted to do or, or maybe they feel uncomfortable doing what God's called them to do. And yet, it's, it's, you've got to stay on that path. And so today we're going to look at our message entitled Routines Interrupted from Luke 2 and Matthew 2. So many times we get into a routine I'm very much, if you ask my family, a creature of habit. I get up pretty much at the same time every day. I, we won't go into the particulars, but I do the same thing after I get up. And then usually I will drive for a little bit, and then I'll go to a coffee shop. I used to have a routine. I went to the coffee shop down here every morning for 20-plus years. And having traveling back to Pennsylvania so much, guess what? After about a month and a half, I got out of that routine. And it was like the first couple days, I remember not going to the coffee shop just because I I didn't have time. I couldn't. And I remember thinking, wow, there's something wrong with my day. It's like, it's not that I even like the coffee there. I mean, they have good coffee, don't get me wrong. But it was, you know, I don't really, you know, the fellowship there is okay. But I, I got out of that routine. And when I came back from my sister's funeral, I thought, well, I'm going to start going to the coffee shop again. And it felt weird to go there now because it wasn't my routine. So I thought, wow, do I really have time? I thought, wait a minute, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I thought, why do I go to this place every morning? It's not because it's the coffee, it's not for the people. And I thought, no, God really laid it on my heart. It's an opportunity for me to reach out to other people. To sit across the table from somebody who's just a full-blown other side of the tracks kind of person as far as political mindset you know, lifestyle, everything, and hear what they're saying and be able to interact with them and potentially share the gospel with them. And God tapped me on the shoulder and said, that's why I have you gone there. I don't have you gone there for the coffee or because it's convenient or anything else. And so today I want to look at the idea that God has unique opportunities when our routines in life are interrupted. When they're interrupted. If you want to love God and others, you have to allow your routines in life to be interrupted. Now, before we look at our text this morning, I just want to remind you that when Jesus Christ became incarnate, when he was born, the Lord of glory, Philippians chapter 2 tells us this, that he emptied himself. He emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and was made in the likeness of man. Talk about breaking up your routine. I mean, Jesus was used to heaven and being in heaven and glorious. And what did he do? He broke out of that and he came down here. And he took on the form of a bondservant. I mean, all the adjectives in our English language and explanations and everything else could never say enough about that fact. And yet... When you think of the birth of Christ, when you think of how he was born, this, this no, the, 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 the noble birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who created everything we see around us, it happened under the most obscure, nondescript, humble circumstances anyone could ever imagine. I mean, Jesus was born in a place where the animals of those staying at the public shelter stayed. 
No one in that village of Bethlehem that night realized the significance of what had happened. Maybe the parents, a little bit. But that was about to change. The silence regarding the Savior's birth would be broken. And it would be broken in the most dramatic, supernatural way. I mean, if we were to announce the birth of Christ today, if we were going to make a campaign, some of you are in marketing, if I said, hey, we've got to come up with a campaign to market the birth of Christ, we want everybody to know about it. I mean, we would have a public relations campaign, probably an internet thing, all this stuff, billboards, commercials. It'd be handled so much differently than the way God handled it. As a matter of fact, we would probably target our audience. We would want to target the, the powerful, influential, religious people in our society. If we lived in Israel, maybe that would be the high priests or the, the Sanhedrin or the, 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 the Levites, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. That would be our target. Instead, God chose to reveal this glorious truth of the birth of Christ, first of all, First and foremost, to this lowly group of individuals, this despised group of what the Bible calls shepherds. Now, we've seen over the last several weeks the events leading up to the birth of Christ. All those messages were talking about what's happening during, before the birth of Christ. And now we get to see the aftermath. We get to see what happened after Christ was born. And we're going to look at three sets of characters today. In fact, we're going to see how they respond to the news of this newborn king. And the first set are the shepherds. They were likely working in a field nearby. The second were the magi, these mysterious priests, um, people from outside the region and outside the religious um, boundaries of Judaism. And they found Jesus of, announced of all place in the stars, it tells us. And then finally, we're going to see King Herod, who had to grapple with the idea of a new king being born. I mean, think about it. If you're a king and a new king's coming, guess what that means? You're out. He's in. So he was threatened by the announcement of Christ. And some of these characters had opportunities presented to them. And you know what? They acted upon them, we're going to see. And unfortunately, sadly, others didn't respond correctly. In fact, they missed out on huge opportunity to, to be part of something much bigger than themselves. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And let me read this for you, and you can follow along in your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. 
And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This morning, I wanted you to see our first point in our message is that ministry happens outside of our routines. Ministry happens outside of our routine. Now, the good news of the Savior's birth came first and foremost to the most unlikely group of people. Shepherds were literally at the bottom of the social ladder. They were uneducated. They were unskilled. Um, they, They were viewed as being dishonest, unreliable, not somebody you would have over for Christmas dinner. They were unsavory characters. So much so that back in that time, a shepherd was not allowed to give any testimony in any court of law. They just weren't trusted. And because sheep required care seven days a week, that's why we're called sheep, right? We need care all the time, not just on Sunday mornings. Sheep needed care seven days a week. Shepherds were unable because of their schedule of watching the sheep all the time, to comply with their man-made Sabbath regulations of the day. That was developed, by the way, by the, the religious elite, the Pharisees. And so as a result, they were, they were viewed, these shepherds were viewed as being in continual violation of religious laws. Because they were always working. They never came to temple. They never came to church. And so because of that, they were considered ceremonially unclean. Um, now, that's not to say that being a shepherd was an illegitimate uh, occupation. When you think of the Bible, you think of the Old Testament, think of shepherds. Who were shepherds? I mean, probably two of the most noted figures in Israel's history, Moses and David. They were shepherds at some point in their lives. And those particular shepherds in our text were watching the sheep, it tells us, in the region around Bethlehem. Um, Bethlehem's about six miles south of Jerusalem. Those of you interested, we're going to to Israel in 2021, and you can ask about that if you want to make plans for that. It'd be a wonderful trip to go together. But here's the shepherds in Bethlehem, about six miles south of Jerusalem. They were staying, it says, out in the fields with their flocks. And that's what they did. They did it all the time. It was part of the routine. Um, Commentaries tell us that that was basically the routine in Israel from April to November. They would stay out in the fields. That doesn't mean, however, John MacArthur points this out, that Jesus could not have been born in the winter. (laughs) Because the winters in Israel are often mild. But Leon Morris says this, the rabbinical writings speak of sheep being pastured between Jerusalem and Bethlehem in February. So it doesn't really affect 
the idea that Christ was born sometime in those months. But according to rabbinical law, they would have to keep these sheep in the wilderness. They weren't allowed near the towns. They weren't allowed in the area of Bethlehem or Jerusalem because if they were, they were subject to being captured and sacrificed at the temple. So because these sheep were in that area, it may be that these shepherds were actually caring for these sheep that were destined for that very purpose, to be sacrificed, which has a whole other connotation. But sheep were generally kept out in the fields during the day, and then in the evening, they had kind of a corral that they would bring these sheep into. They were called a sheepfold, and to keep them safe from animals, um, from thieves, and plus, it gave the shepherds an opportunity to get some rest while maybe one shepherd watched the sheeps in this, in this sheepfold. They kept them all together, and uh, it was just easier to watch them that way. But it seems on this night, the tranquil normalcy of their nightly routine as shepherds was shattered. It was busted wide open in the most dramatic amazing, unexpected way. See, while these shepherds were doing what they normally did, their routine during these long hours spent watching their flocks every night, what happens? An angel of the Lord appears and stood before them. We don't know who it is. It's not identified here in Scripture. But some believe in light of the appearances to Zacharias and Mary, it may have been Gabriel, who knows, But this angel appears, and then on top of that, besides the angel, which is daunting, that would be amazing, it says the glory of the Lord blasted forth out of the darkness and shone around them. So you look at that account in Scripture and you say, well, what in the world is going on here? Well, I like to think of myself as someone who is somewhat dependable. I mean, I can be undependable at times too. Just ask my wife. But usually I'm dependable. You know, if, if, you, if you grab me and say, hey, can you help me do this? We work out the details. I'll try to do everything within my power to accomplish what we're trying to do together. That's just my mindset. And so when I read this story in scripture about these shepherds who are supposed to be watching these sheep, and all of a sudden this angel says, hey, take a hike to Bethlehem. I go, hey, wait a minute. Aren't they violating their work ethic? I mean, they left their jobs. All they had to do was watch these sheep and they left their posts. I mean, did you ever think of that? I mean, there had to be one of these shepherds that kind of raised their hand and said, do you really think we should listen to this angel? Because, you know, if we leave our, our, our sheep and something happens to them, we're not sitting real well with the boss. We have a responsibility here. There had to be at least one shepherd that would say, hey, wait a minute. Let's think this through first. I think that would have been me. Kind of like, wait, 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 slow down. I know you saw this light and everything, but no, slow down. You know, we got to finish this first. Well, fortunately for us and for the shepherds, they all decided to obey the call of the angels. The call to see the newborn king. And so what they do, they left their flocks. They left the flocks of sheep and they searched for Jesus. 
We learn from the stories of Jesus' great, 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 great times 25 times, basically, grandfather David, that Bethlehem had lions, it had bears, had all kinds of creatures in that area that would attack the sheep. David often found himself defending his own flocks from such predators. You can read about that. But the shepherds essentially abandoned their jobs. And they they ran the risk of allowing predators or thieves to come and destroy or steal their livelihood. And I mean, think about it. When they stepped away from the sheep, even if the sheep were safe for that one night, they still neglected that responsibility. I mean, they risked the the chance of maybe their boss coming out and checking on them at night. Hey, I'm going to go check on the shepherds to make sure they're out there watching the sheep. Where are they? They're AWOL. They're not even here. I'm paying these guys to do this job, and they, they left. They neglected the responsibility. Well, fortunately for them, the Christmas story indicates they did the right thing. As hard as that is for us to believe in the day and age we live in, the eternal glory of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ overshadowed their temporary ambition for their career. They shared in the beauty of the Christmas story. Why? Because they realized the significance of the moment. They realized this is a chance of a lifetime. This is a one-time thing. Now, I believe that there's significant moments in our lives, and they're not just relegated to earth-shattering births heralded by angelic beings. I think we're confronted with such opportunities on a daily basis. So often, though, we let our busyness, our focus on our career or whatever, to distract us from being able to recognize, from being able to respond to the significance of that moment. We're focused on other things. Maybe when that coworker tells you that they've been struggling to find a friendship. Or maybe when your family member says everything, everything's good, everything's fine, but you know it's not. You know they're stressed in their marriage, they're stressed in their relationship, they're stressed with their children. Or it could be as simple as when you're driving down the freeway and the You know, the SUV with baby on board sticker on the back cuts you off. And you lose your mind for a second. See, it's easy to miss the opportunity for ministry during those moments. Why? Because they're inconvenient. They're inconvenient moments. That's the last thing we're thinking about when we're inconvenienced is ministry It often means putting aside important things in order to press the pause button. To listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. To minister in those situations that God gives us. I mean, think about it this way. One simple probing question or or just a listening ear, just listening to somebody. Or maybe just a patient smile. When you know the clerk that's waiting on you is just having a really hard time. It goes a long way. It goes a long way. Now, there won't be a choir of angels announcing the importance of the moment. 
But I believe the importance is there. See, and it's our job to follow the lead of these shepherds. And sometimes we're called to leave the proverbial flock that we're entrusted with until later and to go, to do what the Lord is prompting us to do. I mean, the shepherds here had one job, didn't they? To watch the sheep. Yet when the angels appeared to them announcing the good news of Jesus' birth, what did they do? They left their sheep to go meet him. I mean, that seems irresponsible for many of us, maybe. Yet it was the best thing that they could do because they understood the significance of the moment. They were being willing to drop what they were doing to be part of history. See, it's our job to follow the lead of those shepherds. Ask yourself this question. Have you ever missed out on a significant moment in someone's life because maybe you felt you were too busy? I'm sure you have. I have. Um, You sit there and you wonder, well, what would I have done different? I mean, on a personal level, you know, I'm so thankful that my wife and I were able to visit my sister just two years before she passed away. That was a blessing. But I also look back on that time. It's a short time. We were just there four or five days, Monday through Friday. And, you know, I wish I would have spent more time with her personally. Rather than cleaning the house and preparing the house for winter and busy, 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 busy. As my wife sat on the couch with my sister and they watched TV and talked. And I'd go through the living room. What are you doing now? Well, I got to blow off the porch. I got to do that. I got to do I got all this stuff done. I only got till Friday. Little did I know. She only had two weeks left. I think I would have spent a little more time <laughs> sitting on the couch. Not even talking, just sitting next to her. If I would have known what I know now. See, we all have times like that in our lives. And you know what? This time of year can be one of the most stressful if you allow it to be. Your schedule increases, it gets hectic. You got family dinners, you got work dinners, you got to drive to them and the traffic stinks. You got last minute shopping you got to do, and that's a nightmare. I mean, what if you decide this year to table your busyness and actually expect to get less done? (laughs) Just take a break. What if you proactively prepare yourself to make a mental change, to relax, and to prepare yourself to see what's going on around you? I guarantee you probably find opportunities for ministry you'll find those opportunities that God grants you. There may may not be any angels singing, or they didn't sing, actually, they said, but, but those moments are just as significant when we set aside our agenda and look for God's agenda. There will be times in life when God sends us opportunities for ministry. And you know what? More than not, those opportunities will interrupt our day. They'll interrupt our routine. 
It might make us late for an appointment. Or it might even mean not doing something we were supposed to do in order to step in and minister to someone in that particular moment. But we see from the shepherd's story, at least, that they were willing to take that risk. And as a result, their story is recorded in all eternity because they chose to be part of something bigger than their momentary responsibility. We find in the Gospel of Luke another story told by Jesus, the story of the Good Samaritan. Let me just read it for you. You don't even have to turn there. Luke 10, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Beginning in verse 25, And a lawyer, behold, a lawyer stood up before Jesus and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Seems pretty straightforward. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. I mean, that's the biblical way of saying they just walloped the guy, left him in the ditch. Verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road and he saw him pass by on the other, and so he passed by on the other side. He saw the injured guy in the ditch and he moved to the other side of the road. And then a Levite, the next verse tells us, when he came to that place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side as well, just left him there for dead. Verse 33 says, but a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him, Listen, he had what? Compassion. If there's anything the church needs more of, it's compassion. If there's anything I need more of, it's compassion. And so it says he went, around, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring, in, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus asked the lawyer, do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? It's not a hard question. Two-year-old can answer that. And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. See, out of that story, you think, well... Maybe the Good Samaritan wasn't as busy as the other two. No. He was probably just as busy as the priest and the temple assistant. But the Good Samaritan chose to what? He chose to acknowledge the significance of that moment in time. He put aside his own agenda. And what did he do? He embraced his ministry. That's really what Jesus did for us. When he left heaven and he came to earth... And you know what? That's what he calls us to do for him now. We need to pray that God would give us a vision for our ministry. We all have a ministry. If we're a believer in Christ. Even in the middle of this busy season, we need to ask God to show us places where we can press that pause button. 
and demonstrate the love of Christ in any given situation. Ask God to use you for his glory because you're making yourself available to be used. Let us be the type of people who are willing to inconvenience ourselves or even look irresponsible in some people's eyes in order to be part of ministering to others when God sends us these opportunities. So ministry happens outside of our routine. Quickly, point two, we see Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now these events that are described here in Matthew probably occurred several months after the birth of Christ. Months after. And we know that because it tells us that when they visited him, he was staying in a house rather than a stable where he was born. Jesus, therefore, would have probably already been circumcised. Mary would have also already completed her period of purification after the birth. And it tells us that they offered a pair of turtle doves as a sacrifice, or two pigeons, instead of a normal lamb. And what that indicates, that indicates that they were dirt poor. <laughs> if you didn't, couldn't afford a lamb, then you could get these little birds and, and, and sacrifice them. Well, if the offering had been made after the Magi with their expensive gifts arrives, guess what? They definitely would have given a lamb instead of two tur- turtle doves because they could have easily afforded it. Now, here in Bethlehem, this was a small town, I said, five or six miles south of Jerusalem. It's cradled between two ridges, and it's located along the main ancient highway between Jerusalem and Egypt. Small little sleepy town. It was the town where Jacob buried Rachel. You can still see that traditional site today, by the way. It was also where Ruth met Boaz. And their illustrious grandson, David, grew up and tended sheep. And so by the time Jesus' birth, it had long been called the city of David. And the prophet Micah, we know, specifically promised that the Messiah would come from this small village. So what's the point here? These, These magi, these wise men from the Christmas story were actually most likely Persian priests who were involved in a religion called Zoroasterism. And they, they were all into the astrology. Um, it was a mixture of science and astrology, kind of a weird mix. Um, if you... You could say that these, these individuals, these wise men, these, they were about as far away from the Jewish religion as you can get. Yet, when the star appeared in the sky, they said, let's go check it out. I mean, that's what they did. They just stood around and stared up at the stars. Nobody else was looking up. And so when they saw Jesus' star rise, it would have been kind of in their religion, a celestial event, kind of like reading 
your horoscope. I mean, they just, wow, what's this? We got to check this out. And they believed that the stars told them what was happening here on earth. You had to be paying attention, obviously, to the stars to notice this event. But here, religiously, they were outsiders. Um, But they still felt the call to seek truth. Then they responded. They loaded magnificent gifts, the Bible tells us, into their caravan. And they journeyed to meet the king whom the heavens had announced. And it was a long journey. Um, they saw the star where Jesus was born, but they didn't see Jesus until months later. So you can imagine they were traveling, traveling. Now, if you saw one of these guys on the street, you'd probably cross to the other side of the street. They probably dressed a little odd. Uh, the whole priest astrology kind of thing is, doesn't really go well with my sensibilities. But looking at their story here in Matthew, I kind of have a certain respect for them because they were intellectually honest folks. They just sought the truth, even if that, that meant taking them outside of their comfort zone of their own religion and into a territory of a competing religion. They were okay with that. I mean, they could have stayed home and ignored this thing they saw in the sky. They could have gotten offended. They could have gotten distraught that things were changing, what's happening Instead, they journeyed, and they journeyed humbly, and they looked into the matter, the Bible says. They demonstrated a love. They demonstrated a generosity by presenting lavishly gifts. And these aren't cheap. These are expensive gifts back in the day to this newborn king at great cost to themselves. I would have to say the Magi were open-minded people. They were open-minded Something, unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians don't have. <laughs> a lot of times when we're confronted by something outside our own paradigm, they, we, we, we don't want to hear any more about it. But they, they chose to investigate it. I believe maybe we should take a cue from these magi from the East. Now, I'm not saying we become wishy-washy in our faith. We understand where the truth comes from. It comes from God's word. It doesn't come from some star in the, in the sky But I think we need to set aside our preoccupations and preconceptions of politics and race, cultural norms, and really become like children when it comes to worshiping God. When's the last time you went before God and asked God to show you something fresh, something new in the Scriptures? I'm not saying it's something new outside the Scriptures. We're held to the context of Scripture. But when's the last time you had your devotion and said, God, give me something fresh. Give me something new. I want to see it in a different light today. I mean, that's how kids are a lot of times. And that's what we're called to do. We're we're called to become like children. So they made a months-long journey to find this newborn king of the Jews. And the stars they followed announced... His birth, they figured, well, you know what? It's definitely worth checking out. And you know what? They found him. They sought the truth, even if it meant getting out of their comfort zone and stepping outside of what they believed to be true. 
Can you imagine if someone of that sort walked into our service today? Think of a fortune teller dressed up with all their gypsy garb. They came and they sat right down here. We probably have a couple ushers kind of, keep an eye on that one. I mean, they could have been viewed as weird in that day. Yet there they were, completely outside the Jewish religion, seeking a Jewish king. Unknown to them, this king would be the catalyst for a brand new religion called Christianity. Someone like that walked into our service, would we embrace them? Would we find them weird? Would we be a bit nervous? I pray that our church would be welcoming to them. But I also know it would be outside the norm. But imagine if they were really looking into the truth of this Jesus thing. If by chance God led them here. It's a lot what we see here in the story of the Magi. For all intents and purposes, they didn't belong in the birth of this new Jewish king, but they decided to risk feeling out of place and they went to find him. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says this to, to the Israelites. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. See, the beauty of the Christmas story, beloved, is, is that we see this promise acted out. Even for those people we might assume God would reject. God has made himself available to everyone who seeks him. We have no say whatsoever in who God accepts. His grace is available to all. It might take a step outside of your comfort zone and your preconceived notions of the truth But if you're seeking him with a sincere heart, you will find him. Because God is available to any who seek him. It continues there in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. It says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, Matthew 2. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Well, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
The third point here this morning for us is threats to our position and power are actually opportunities for legacy. See, these magi approached King Herod to learn about the birth of this newborn king they saw announced in the skies. Herod was blindsided by the idea. He felt threatened as the current king. Most people would feel threatened if you were the king and there was another king coming on, on the scene. We find, our plays, or we find ourselves in that, that place sometimes. Maybe you work in the tech industry and, you know, sooner or later you're not going to be the go-to individual. Because what? Technology constantly changes. Maybe you're a parent. There's going to come a time when your children no longer see you as the ultimate authority. They'll establish their own household. See, transition and power changes are normal throughout the course of our lives. We shouldn't feel threatened by them. We shouldn't feel worried about them. But that's what we see King Herod experiencing when he hears the news from the Magi and he responds with treachery. He responds ultimately with infanticide, mass infanticide, to, to take care of this king that was going to threaten him. I mean, can you imagine for a second with me if instead he had recognized the change that was coming, and he leaned into it. He accepted it. I mean, he could have been part of the legacy of the story of Christ. He could have been more than just a dark spot in the narrative of Jesus' birth. I mean, we all have to deal with this from time to time. But God is more concerned with who we are than any position we hold. He's more concerned with our heart. He's more concerned with our ability to love and to to give to others. He's more concerned with our love for him. When we choose to embrace and help those who threaten our position of power, we have the opportunity to become part of their accomplishments because you're joining together with somebody else's life story. You become part of something bigger than yourself, than just a single narrative. That's what legacy is all about. And that's the opportunity, unfortunately, here missed by King Herod. Well, in conclusion, interruptions to our routines are uncomfortable. They don't feel good in the moment But you know what? That's where the greatest, most oftentimes, the greatest opportunities lie. And we see here in the story, the account of Jesus' birth, these three sets of people. They got to be part of the greatest story ever told. Some were allies, allies, but one was an enemy. And by the way, ultimately, the enemy died in relative historical obscurity, even though he was a king. And you think of the other two? The other two now live on. (laughs) They live on in countless Christmas cards, nativity sets, Christmas presentations. And I guess our challenge today is, let's make a commitment to be the ones that become allies to other people's stories by seeking God and acting on opportunities for ministry. And it's okay if it interrupts our routine. 
because maybe that's exactly what God intends. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for these examples of these folks who were involved with the birth of Christ. And Lord, whether it's the shepherds or the magi, Lord, I pray that we would be able to emulate their, their seeking the truth, their willingness to trust you. Lord, help us not to feel threatened by your authority in our lives. I'm sure for some who have yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I mean, that's a big deal. It's, it's not something that should be lightly looked upon. You're yielding complete control to someone you probably have never seen, and yet you know exists. And that's undaunting at best, but that's why you give us faith. That's why you give us grace to help us with that that we would be able to embrace the all-knowing creator God and turn from our sin to the Savior, knowing that when we do that, the truth of your word tells us that our sins, past, present, future, are forgiven. They're, They're covered by the blood of Christ. And it doesn't take a fancy prayer. It doesn't take someone to join a church or be baptized. It takes a simple act of faith on your part to cry out from a place of need to a God who's willing to provide for your needs through salvation. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. That's a prayer that God will answer when you pray it from a sincere heart, a genuine heart a place that's willing to trust. Lord, we just pray for our time as families together that you would bless it. Lord, I pray for those who may be traveling, that you would keep them safe. I just pray that we would keep our focus on Christ. And there's nothing wrong with gifts and enjoying food and laughter and fun together. But Lord, ultimately, this time is about you. This is your birthday we're celebrating. And so, Lord, we're, we're grateful for your grace in our lives this past year. And, Father, we pray that you would um, give us the grace to trust you for another year, another day, another minute. And, Lord, that we would use opportunities that come our way to serve you in whatever way possible. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.